welcome to Arrest All Mimics. This is a Creative Innovation Podcast. My name is Ben Talon, the host. How are you doing? I hope you're good. Thank you for listening. Cheers for tuning in. Uh, welcome back, loyal, regular listeners, usual faces, much welcome support, and hello to anybody new checking in. We do get new people coming in all the time, which is exciting for me. It was always going to be a slow build because I am primarily an illustrator, if you can't tell. I'm not a professional broadcaster. I'm not the BBC, and I am never going to be them. I don't think that's a bad thing, do you? Uh, people seem to like the ramshackle nature of this thing, so I keep doing it. Regular for all of you. Uh, that wouldn't be possible if it weren't for the supporters of today's episode. Illustrationweb.com, uh, first sponsor, founding sponsor, helped me get this show off the ground. Wonderful illustration agency representing animators, illustrators, gift makers, lettering specialists, fashion illustrators, live, uh, mural, it all goes on under their roof. And they're lovely, warm people looking to do good for our creative industry and our society in general. So go and check them out. Representing many, many different artists globally. Represented offices around the world. Great bunch of people. Loads of cool work. Illustrationweb.com. Heartinternet.co.uk. Also took a punt on somebody who liked to run his mouth as well as using his ink. (laughs) So thankful for them. Also, they provide wonderful SEO advice. Social media help hosting, domains, all the good web stuff that you need to be seen up there on Google. When people are looking for whatever it is that you're producing with your mind and with your hands and with your mouths, whatever, <laughs> uh, go and have a look, heartinternet.co.uk. Provide a digital tip every single episode. Um, I'm not going to give it away right here, actually. It kind of comes up in the episode this time. Lauren talks about the double-edged sword that is social media and what it can do for our minds, good and bad. Uh, we'll get into that in the show. So there, that is courtesy of heartsinternet.co.uk. Uh, and last but not least, the Association of Illustrators, ongoing supporters of the show. Go and check them out. Uh, all sorts of contractual advice, pricing advice, all the nitty-gritty stuff that we struggle with. As creative souls, we just want to be doing what we do, what we're known for. Uh, but the truth is, we run businesses and we have to do the nitty-gritty stuff. So those guys are there to help. Go and have a look. The AOI.com. So cheers for listening. How are you all doing? I hope you're all good. What have you been up to this summer? I hope you've got some exciting projects to share with us. Please do do that now over at Arrest All Mimics on the social, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Come and join the conversation. Share as you work. Let me know who you want to hear from on the show. Tell me if you want to be on it, if you've been doing some exciting stuff. We had a nice little rise in approaches recently, which is exciting. Uh, later this afternoon, at the time of recording, I'm going to be meeting with CK Golden, who's made a wonderful film called 61 Hugs which is coming out soon. He was uh, set the challenge of hugging 61 strangers between his home in Sheffield and the city centre. And it's quite a heartwarming, endearing little movie. Uh, And he's going to tell us all about that. And we're going to be discussing overthinking. And I know a lot of you are good at that from conversations we've had, just because that's what we do. We have introspective, curious minds. That's what makes us good for our jobs in the creative industries. And... It also comes with a downside, right? We procrastinate, we dwell, we overthink things, we stop ourselves from doing things because of what might happen or might not happen, and it's kind of killer sometimes. So we're going to be getting under the skin of that with CK Golden, a content creator based in Sheffield, working all over the place, a wonderful, wonderful human being, very interesting character. So we've got that coming up. We've got Studio Sutherland's Jim Sutherland coming up, one of the hottest designers not just in the UK, actually, but in the world right now. A wonderfully talented guy working on some major, major projects, and he's absolutely nailing it with good reason. So we're going to be talking to him. Also, 
Uh, what else we got coming up? We've got a lot of stuff. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. Loads of conversations in the bag. Loads of cool topics to be covered. So all of that coming up. But today's guest, Lauren Kelly. So Lauren is founding member of Behaviour Studio. Uh, they use behavioural insights to improve customer experience, innovate and nudge people's behaviour. Behavioural science is based on a strong scientific legacy that seeks to understand how people act, feel and make decisions. Insights that we use to supercharge our design process to design services and digital products that have the right customer behaviour. Uh, these guys have already helped and worked with Microsoft, MIT and Union College, Contentful, the British Government Equalities Office, British Biathlon and Every Woman. Uh, Lauren is a fascinating character, a, a wonderful human. I would say the same of every guest I've had on the show because I'm biased, but there's a reason that I want to talk to these people and bring their story to you. But Lauren is no different and she fits right into that bill. So like I mentioned, we got uh, we got chatting at a Christmas party and we got a little bit drunk and we had a big deep conversation because that's the kind of minds we have that enable us to do our work. And when Laura started to tell me about what Behaviour Studio does and the insights they use and recognising negative, positive, mixed patterns of behaviour that we have right down from the individual to whole swathes of sections of markets, of groups of people... Um, it was just really, really fascinating, interesting, psychological stuff. And I thought, well, let's have this conversation on record. It would be a real shame not to take this to the rest of the mix audience. So I hope you like what's coming up. It's really, um, it's actually quite hard for me to paraphrase because what Lauren talks about is quite in-depth and it's quite um, learned and it's what she does. And she's a, you know, she's a professional behavioural psychologist and also with a background in design. So it's, it's a really interesting story, actually which I'm going to leave to Lauren to tell you like nobody else can. But it's just a really great little thing, and there's, there seems to be more attention being paid in all scales of business, so from you know from big agencies, from marketers, from individuals that are using this stuff. And it's really all, it's not that complex in the sense that we're human beings, we behave in certain ways, we respond to certain things, and we don't like to be led up a path of manipulation. So we're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about the ethical line in this particular topic. Uh, and it's interesting, so I could sit here and waffle all day, but I am going to get you to the conversation with Lauren. I want your thoughts. Please do hit us up on the social media at Arrest All Mimics on your favourite social channel. Um, cheers for listening to previous episodes. I hope you enjoyed uh, a recent conversation with Micah Purnell on the ethical line in advertising. That's a deep one. It's a big one. seems to be a theme at the moment. Um, we had the wonderful Clara Mulligan, Head of Art and Design at Anomaly Advertising Agency in London. Go back and listen to that. It's talking change. We're talking about embracing fear. It's a really, really fascinating, inspiring one from one hell of a lady. Uh, we had the Executive Creative Director of Google Creative Lab and current DNAD President Steve Vernakis, along with Nate, Nate Agbatu, talking creativity in their journeys so that's another good one Carl Doran from Floor it's been a hell of a run uh, but some fantastic feedback so thank you for all that have done that please continue doing it drop us a little review on iTunes if you get a second it's a big help uh, and that's enough banging on from me so without further ado you find me chatting to Behaviour Studio founding member Lauren Kelly and we're discussing behaviour design at the end of the day design is to creating things for other human beings. Yeah. That is, that's the complete end point. And actually, psychology is so important because if you understand how they think, how they act, their brains, actually, your designs become much more informed and become significantly better. Mm. That's a huge part of what we do, if, yeah. if not the biggest part. You it know? is. It's like, and it's one of the big things that always drew me to it, that idea of, of starting from 
scratch and someone's got a problem to solve and you have to yeah. work out that market. I find that all very intriguing and exciting. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, and actually psychology should be another arsenal to our toolkit. So we should take it into client meetings and go, right, this is our market analysis, this is the brief analysis, here's the, some visual boards, here's the direction we're thinking. Also, here's the psychological background to all of our decisions. Mm. And actually I found it with my own clients, as soon as you start bringing in this insight and reasoning, they listen to you more, they sign off on the projects you're recommending more, because actually it's not just your choice. And that to clients, for the most part, design looks like you've just chosen to do that, because they don't yeah. really understand the context. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you bring in science, this is provable, here's all the papers, here's yeah. some things, if you want to keep reading about it, here's the things we yeah. read. They literally just big smile on their face and they're like, yeah, I can take this to my stakeholders, this is great. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the language that a lot of people need at yeah. a high level, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So... So what's your background then? What's your... Uh, like, well, I don't know, let's go from scratch. Well, I was, I was just always interested in where people are from. Or were you, like, creative mind as a child? Were you interested? I don't know, what was going on? Do you know, actually, I always... I was always creative as a kid. To the point, I think my mum's still got some, you know, like the bits of things you draw, and it's better than what I can draw now, so I don't really know where that skill <laughs> went. <laughs> I think it's the fear now, isn't it? The fear of like, oh, I'm a designer, everything yeah. I do must be great. And you're like, oh, actually. Um, and I always, when I was a teenager, wanted to end up in something that was designy or creative, mm -hmm. but I grew up in the countryside and I really wasn't there, so I didn't really have that support system. So I went to university. And on my mum's um, advisement of the time, chose not to do a creative subject because there wasn't an end game in it. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to do something creative, I may as well do a career creative. Mm -hmm. um, and did architecture. Yeah. And I went and did architecture. And I got to my final year. And about six months before graduation, I quit. <laughs> nice. And a lot of people have done that. Yeah, and I thought, you know, I don't want to be an architect. Architecture for me is... A box it's a place and a space is determined by how a person interacts with it and actually I'd started doing my dissertation which was all about haptics and psychology of space and actually like how the thermal load of a building affects you and your well-being and your interpretation of that space how the way a hospital design can increase or decrease mortality you know mm. if you get a patient up and actively encourage them within a couple of hours of waking up from an operation they're far more likely to recover and their recovery rate decreases and their mortality rate decreases. And fundamentally, that's fascinating how that element of the things we design and how we design them and how we create people can have a real impact on people. Yeah. So I was always interested in this standing back and kind of thinking, actually, how and why and what if. So I thought, right, I'll go study psychology. So I basically rung up the admissions office and I was like, yeah, I want to start psychology. And they were like... <laughs> In those exact words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And they were like, um, yeah, that's fine. First year's already well on its way. Can you catch up? And I was like, look, I'm transferring from architecture. And they went, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Crack on, start tomorrow. And I was like, awesome. Oh, wow, okay. Because architecture's intense. If anyone studied it, it's sweat, blood, tears, yeah. like, intense. Interestingly enough, the guy who's been on this week's show... Um, he also went via architecture for the same reasons from kind of parental yeah. suggestions 
uh, via design into illustration. It's another story, but it's quite interesting that this come up sort of two consecutive conversations. Most people quit architecture. And I think I remember in our first week, they were like, look to the left, look to the right. One in ten of you will graduate. And you think, oh, Jesus. That is like, <laughs> that's intense. So you're looking at your new, your new friends and thinking, mm. so the competition started. It's like Battle Royale. God, it was. <laughs> yeah, so I did psychology, and actually the whole way through I was really interested in um, like what was rewarding, what wasn't rewarding, what's good for your mental health. Mm. Um, and I kind of rested more towards the behavioural side, so behavioural economics and behaviour. What makes us us? What makes us think? What makes us act? All of these kind of questions. Um, and shortly after graduation, I kicked around Sheffield for a bit, because that's where I was at university. And I wasn't really doing much in my degree, and I wasn't really doing much in the creative sector, and I thought, well, this is a bit daft. And I saw a competition, call-out competition at a Creative Review, and I thought, oh, I've got nothing else to do today, I might as well enter this thing. And I won, somehow. And what was the competition? It was an illustration competition. Oh, brilliant. And I don't, I didn't really do illustration. I, was just, I think it was just luck, like pure luck. And I thought, mm. well, this is a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I went down to London. Got the, I got the Megabus, because like a quid. So I got the 5am Megabus down to London. And I went to Creative Review's offices and met Patrick, who's the yeah. editor. And I got my prize, which was an electric guitar. <laughs> and it was a sunny, sunny, beautiful day in London. And if, like coming down from Sheffield, I was like, it's so shiny and new down here. This is amazing. Mm. And I stood on Oxford Street and I rung my husband, my now husband. And I was like, right, pack your bags. I'm moving to London. I'm going to become a designer. Oh, really? Yeah. And we did. A month later, I got a junior design job. Oh, wow. That's really quite impressive. Yeah. Like, it's just mental when you look back at it. And then I worked in a publishing house for a couple of years and that the whole time didn't really feel like I loved what I was doing and I think it's because that science part of my brain was always ticking and mm. always going and I kept getting this frustration and this torsion between what we're doing but without the why, without that pure understanding mm. of what impact it's having on people, why why is it laid out this way? Can we lay it out a different way to like optimise how the conversation is taking place in the magazine and all these things. Um so I went freelance and got my you know, got your usual plethora of clients and I remember sitting having a glass of wine with one of my clients and she was like, So what's your background? And I was like, Well it's psychology and she was like, Oh, that's why you always talk about psychology when you're talking through project decisions and when on all of your stuff. Mm. And I was like, do I? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you do it all the time. And I was like, right. So I sat on the tube home and I thought, there's something in this. Mm. There's something here. And I'm not sure what it is, but I need to decide what it is. Um, so we moved to Berlin. <laughs> like you do. I love um, this. And I took six months off. Completely, we got enough savings and we moved yeah. to Berlin because we could have savings in Berlin and have much lower cost of mm. running apartments and transport and food. And and so I had my design school, my six-month design school, where I read everything I could get my hands on and just trying to figure out where I fit in the space and what it should be. And, and actually, I never really found it. There's a bit of UX, a bit of product design, and actually... 
as sectors they're really fascinating because they start to bring in psychology and it's almost normalised psychology, human-centred design, normalised mm. psychology in a designer's narrative. And that's only really been the last, what, five, six years where people have started thinking, oh, we should really think about the person. Yeah. Put them at the centre of everything we're doing. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And what's your education? Yeah. <laughs> and that's another education? story. <laughs> and actually, so what I was doing was thinking, yeah, great, so that started it, but it's not enough. It could go further. So instead of putting the person at the centre of all our decision makings, mm. we put what's fundamentally makes a person, which is their brain. Mm. And if you can understand the brain and the neuroscience and the psychology, you can design systems that are better for people's mental well-being, which is huge at the moment. If you think of all the negative backlashes to like design solutions that are out there, that a designer never intended to have these negative effects. You know, like. The designer at Facebook was driven by the engagement and the return on the internal um, company structure that rewards him getting more engagement on the platform. He didn't set out to make one of the most addictive platforms ever in human history that's going to destroy your mental well-being, increase depression and suicide rates and all this kind of stuff. He didn't sit there and think, well, that's my end game. I'm going to make people more Uh, depressed. of course, yeah. Yeah. But you put the power in other people's hands, I guess, yeah. Uh, and nor does anyone think that when they sign up to the thing, you know? It's true. And actually, I know all this stuff, and yet I'm always on Twitter. And yeah. I know it has a really bad effect on me. And yet I can't get off it. It's really mm, annoying. It's really black mirror, isn't it? Yeah, it's really black mirror. Is that interesting? So this, I'm, I'm curious about this six-month spell in Berlin. Did you stop... You mentioned about all the things looking at the, sort of the, the design side of things. Did you, mm. did, you really, did you take time to assess yourself? Have you always done that? Did you, you know, to sort of really understand your own personality and drivers? Yeah, I mean, I'm a compulsive overthinker. And I think most designers are. That's why we're designers. It's mm. that pure curiosity of, oh, why is that? Yeah. Oh, how can I, I make agree. this? Why is that person doing this thing? Um, and at that six months was a lot of stepping back and thinking, actually, what really am I motivated by? Who am I as a person? Where are my skills? Um, and I think that's really, it's a, it's a big privilege to be able to have the time to do that. It's wonderful. It's really important, yeah. but as you say, it's so hard to come upon a time period like six months. Yeah, but a lot of those people are in Berlin. And like I'm, I've talked to people who are significantly further along in their career, so people in their 40s, 50s, who have quit London and gone to Berlin and just taken six months a year off just to think, great, well, what do I want to do? Mm. Who am I? Yeah. What, what inspires me? What drives me? Yeah. Um, so it's a really good culture for that. People yeah. are just driven by their passion in Berlin. It's interesting, isn't it? You do get certain cities that have that kind of feel. Berlin certainly yeah. leading the way. But but yeah, the, the whole getting out of London thing has been so beneficial for me on a very similar level coming back here. Yeah. Again, it's just you know a little less pressure, a little less pace, and all of a sudden I start to feel like I understand myself again, and I feel like I lost that towards the end of London. Yeah. Well, you feel steamrolled in London. Yeah. Like. It's, like, it's, when I, it's when you come back up north and the escalators go slow and you think, I'm in a different land. <laughs> isn't it? You get off, the train, off yeah. the train and you think, everything's slightly slower up north. And slightly quieter, yeah. But for creative people, that's, that's everything. Mm-hmm. It gives us the space and that time to kind of pull back. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I ended up doing behaviour design. That's really interesting. 
And, and I, I like the fact you were you've been honest with yourself about you, you know, because yeah. I don't think there's any way. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. See so if you agree, but maybe there's. I don't think there's any way you could do a role like yours without being truly honest about who you are and, and what you want from this, because it's quite. Yeah. A, I mean, it sounds like it's got quite a depth the role. Yeah, you're completely true, and actually, you almost have to go through therapy to build up schemas and frame of references and all these psychology terms. Mm. Um, because you are having to sit with people and break through not only their assumptions, you have to break through your own. Yeah. So you have to stop and think, cool, am I doing that because it's an automated behaviour? Or am I doing that for another reason? Or when you're like working and asking people in a project and you're doing a bit of user field testing, you have to analyse everyone else's behaviours on such a deep level that actually if you're not aware of your own, mm. you'll never get through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I find, I find a similar thing. I don't teach very often, but I do the odd day, but it's only because I often feel like it. And I always go back to myself as an anchor point, and that's not because yeah. I want to share my own stories all the time. It's because that's the most honest framework that I've got to look at someone else and go, okay, like I got this from a bit in that I was into that thing that maybe felt embarrassing once upon a time. Yeah. Now you need to kind of bear your soul to yourself first and foremost, and then you start to see students unlock. So it sounds like a similar thing in a different, different manner. But, but it, what fascinates me is, like, I've, I do lots of talks, and I always just put my email up, and I'm like, just email me. Like, it's a really interesting field. It's very new. Behaviour design has only been around really the last couple of years. So people don't really know what it is. And I'm like, we can just have a Skype chat. Like, crack on. And, like, students particularly emailing me, basically with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of hesitancy of, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm graduating next year, I've got a degree in interactive design, but I think I want to do something that's like, something in textiles, mm. and oh, and there's just this so much panic that actually I don't think that I had 10 years ago. And I think it's the modern pressure of, you need to be hit the ground running in your 20s, mm. and you need to just run as quick as you can and know exactly what you're doing and commit really hard to it. And actually, I just say to them, work on what you want to work on. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Because that's actually the stuff you work on now and all that like weird stuff you tinker with on a Saturday night, that's probably what your career's going to become with all this other stuff added into it. Yeah. Um, it's completely true. Yeah. yeah, I always say, what do you do? What are you into? And they'll start talking about syllabus. And no, 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 no. Like, what, what are you doing tonight when you get home? When, when, no, when no one's looking, when you're on your own at home or with your family, whatever. Yeah. Like, what do you do? And you get the most interesting answers, and it's like they've never consciously thought about that as a valid source of inspiration or, you know, yeah. uh, to, to build a career upon or a path. But I think it's always really hard to step back. I oh, God. Yeah, it takes time. And mental effort. It's really yeah. hard to break yourself down. Mm-hmm. Find a few things you don't want to find, actually. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. You, yeah it, it's a real, it's quite, a, it's quite the process. Mm quite a kind of self-cleansing, if that's the right term, but it, it really is, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know, I, I write, more and more I write about this stuff and it's a really good way of making sense of it, you mentioned the journal earlier that you've been keeping, and it's, it's kind of interesting, there's a lot that you don't think about until oh, yeah. you stop to, to look. 100% get a journal and yeah. write a journal, just yeah. for me, no one will ever see it, Yeah. but it, because I always see it, like dot journaling and all this kind of stuff, and I always tried it. But it's just a bit too labour intensive, isn't it? You need a book, you need a pen, you need to get mm. thing. You know, just get a Google Docs and just crack on and just write all your stuff down. And actually, yeah. to stem back and, and look back after six months, you're like, wow, 
Yeah. That little idea of a seed that I thought about as a bullet point at the bottom, like, must think about this thing, turned into be a new product. Mm -hmm. That's incredible, that, yeah. like, space. I mean, we, we've just developed one at the moment in the studio called Behaviour Kit. And it's basically breaking down behaviour design to make it accessible to designers, creators, illustrators. Because mm. actually, the problem with behaviour design is it's kind of harped in academia. So you at least need a degree to understand just the language it uses. You mm. need to access all the papers and they're usually behind paywalls and the concepts are actually really quite complicated. So I thought, well, that's a bit useless because actually you've put that barrier up between people that create for people and people that make the things that you should think about. Mm. So that's what we did with Behaviour Kit, was try and make cheat sheets and little prompt cards and kind of like de-breaking down all this lingo that I think is intentionally there to make it hard. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's wrong. Yeah, if it doesn't need to be so complex, then yeah. yeah, you're right. So when you came back from that spell in Berlin then, so what was, did you did you have a market in mind? Or did, you, did you know where you would start to point this? Well, that's the other thing. The market's huge. Market for behaviour design. If you think if, if you can give a bit of behavioural insights to every single creator, they can make things better immediately. They can start tomorrow and just mm. think, oh, so here's a few ideas. Let's apply them. So actually the market is potentially huge, but I had to kind of pinhole it. So we work in what I call digital products and services. <laughs> um, and namely because actually you have more data, so you have more return on what people are doing and how they're doing it. And that's the only reason why. So actually to a client you have tangible effects of what you're doing. Oh, you increased this. Yeah. And those returns aren't things like clicks or engagements. They're things that I call human factor KPIs, um, which are basically taking the traditional key performance indicators of that businesses traditionally use to kind of like, is the investment worth it? Should we spend more time on this? Is was mm. this a viable thing to, that we should have got someone to work on? And actually puts the human back into it. So an engagement is a really roundabout expression of what's going on because actually that engagement encompasses whether I'm sat in front of the TV and I'm just scrolling which is usually what I'm doing <laughs> so actually you're distracted or maybe you're on the bus and you're and so an engagement is a really roundabout term mm. so by putting human factor back into it and put the human back in it kind of gives us foundation of a behavioral return of an investment so if I think about what is that person doing and where are they doing it and how are they doing it? That's usually the behavioural okay. the behavioural mm. data. Yeah. Um, so actually it makes it more human relatable. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I got too deep, didn't I? <laughs> no, it's not too deep at all. <laughs> well, I've got a question for you then. Have you ever picked up a psychology book? To what, to what level? I've read quite a few Malcolm Gladwell books, does that count? Pop, pop, I guess it's pop psychology. I don't know if that's quite yeah. psychology. I don't know. I think any bit of insight. Yeah. But do you use any in your work? Not consciously, probably not. I mean, I think about, okay, let's say I'm approaching a certain client I'd like to work for. Um, I certainly think about the time, you know, what they might be doing at any given point of the day. If I'm going to send out a mailer to arrive, I think about the day it's going to arrive. For example, a Tuesday is better than a Monday morning. Yeah. 
you know, just because you're fresh off a weekend, you're picking up the pieces, maybe they've been out and got pissed that weekend, you know, <laughs> I take into account all that kind of stuff, I think about why they'd want the, the kind of loose organic nature of my artistic style, you know, what, yeah. what market does that appeal to and how does that benefit them, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's the kind of psychology yeah, that would so count, then I certainly do think about that and, and try to bring that into correspondence with them, you know, some people yeah. it's better to pick up the phone and have a friendly informal conversation other people it's, it's better to write a nice formal letter and look yeah. slicker you know and that's the thing like I say all designers are psychologists they just don't know it because mm -hmm. actually once you've been working for a couple of years that kind of like hit and miss kind of behavior that we exhibit when we're doing client relationships or when we're sending things out and oh I did like an ad campaign or it didn't really work or why didn't it work and let's learn from that. Mm. You internalise all these rules, you just don't have the framework or the understanding to call them things. That's very true, that is very true actually. Now you've got me thinking like that there is a lot yeah. actually that I do all the time but I've never sat down to really formalise that, it's just yeah. Some, yeah, it's very subconscious. But even like how you create the emotion in your work, mm -hmm. that is pure psychology you know the, a certain color you're using or a certain whether you're doing a smooth form or a jagged form all these things are psychological effects of how the brain interprets your mm. it's called perceptual fluency so how easy it is for something to process your brain then basically connects it to other things in the brain so if you make something jagged it has a more aggressive nature if it makes something smooth mm. it's friendly and just all these little things that next time you sit down to draw something you can think cool so this campaign is for um, a prevention campaign so actually I want a graphic to be really threatening and not and not accessible cool let's stick to these kind of aesthetics mm. you already do it it's very true composition maybe something's isolated yeah. on the page as opposed to yeah yeah okay there's a lot of it going on all the layout and like the gestalt principles and like all of these things and actually if you give a like if you give a designer this arsenal of information it means that they, when they start working, they're far more informed about what they're doing, as opposed to kind of spending a lot of time working it, working it out. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really interesting. That is very true. Yeah, I remember a tutor of mine saying to me in third year to consider line weight, for example, yeah. in the way I was drawing. What does a what does a thick brush stroke say as opposed to? And I think I remember the case being I'd done one drawing and it was all of one line weight. And he asked me to think about what would happen if I made that a broken, heavy set line. You know, what yeah. was that then? Then what does that convey? And this was a revelation at the time, but it's something that I now very much consider in each and every one of my works. Yeah, and and this is what I say: like if you if you're creating for the people, all the behavioural insight stuff is almost a cheat before you even start. So by learning all the rules of the game, you can start working much quicker. Mm and much more effectively because yeah. you know it's going to work at the end you know you'll know that that marketing campaign you're doing for a client is actually going to work yes as opposed to hoping it works and then following up with them a month later and be like how did that go yeah like, <laughs> yeah absolutely that's it yeah if all's considered and you've really taken care to think about that audience then of course that you yeah. drastically heighten the odds but also like how you communicate with your clients is also fascinating and i've noticed I do a lot of this now. You can't help it. I mean, if I, you design other people's behaviour, you do end up designing your own behaviour. And it's just things like how you communicate with clients or how you build clients. I mean, you say you only do it on a Tuesday. I mean, that's a pretty good go-to in business that you email important things on a Tuesday morning because Monday's the catch-up and everyone's a bit hazy after, mm. after whatever they did at the weekend. And the rest of the week's kind of a write-off, really. 
mm. never send anything on personal on Friday because they're already in, in holiday mode, they're not in work mode, in, in yeah. the mental state. Yeah. But there's just like the little things like the there's this thing called like framing and actually how you frame information changes the perceived value of what's going on. It's behavioural economics, really. So, for example, on any proposals you're putting out or any invoices, always make your invoice numbers really high. Because mm. actually, it frames all the other numbers that are on the page. So if you have a low invoice number, it makes whatever you're billing to client look really high. <laughs> and they go, oh, that was a lot for that. Oh, that couple, yeah, oh that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a lot. That's another zero on there. That's a pretty intense. And actually, if you use a really high invoicing number... It sets that value up, it sends that value framing. So there's lots yeah. of numbers anyway, so it seems a lot less. And you see it a lot. Wow, like, okay, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And like you, people always recommend to sell packages, and packages are really effective psychology because actually what you're doing is so, for example, if you're doing a branding project, mm-hmm. the client will be like, hey, can you send me a proposal? So instead of just saying, here's a proposal, it's going to cost you 20k. Actually, what you do is go, here's a proposal, this is what we recommend. Here's the three-tiered approaches yeah. to what we think you need, when you need it over a certain time frame. Basic, middle one, which is what we recommend. Top tier, this is how it will basically keep you, keep all the assets and keep you going for the next six months to a year after we finish working together. Mm. This money, this money with a little bit more, this money with a lot more. And actually, by framing it as, a, as the value you're framing the value of yourself against yourself. So for the most part, clients will pick the middle option because they don't want the cheap one because they don't want to be cheap. They don't want the basic one. (laughs) But they probably won't go for the most expensive one because actually if we can get it for what we're getting for the middle one, why would we pay more? But they will never choose the basic one. Mm. And actually what you're doing is there, you're framing and you're designing the conversation you're having with your client. So the conversation is no longer that your client is having, which is, oh, let's compare the value of Ben to the value of Jess. Yeah. It's, oh, let's compare the value of Ben, Ben and Ben. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I've just done this, I've just done this with Pet Plan. Yeah. <laughs> Insurance. I just went for the middle package. And I just, yeah, it's a very similar thing. And, it, you know, one of those other things is like defaulting. So the Pet Plan one might have had the middle one defaulted already. And actually that comes with a consequence because as... As humans, our brains are really lazy. We don't want to make decisions if we can help it. We're making, mm. I think it's like 35,000 unconscious decisions a day. Wow. So if we can avoid a decision, we will. And especially if something like insurance. If we, if we can avoid making a decision about insurance, we probably will because it's really boring or it's really yeah. complicated and I'd rather just spend like 20 quid a month instead of 30 quid a month. Mm. So you basically default what they want you to pay. Because you're probably unlikely to unclick it. Yeah. Um, and you can do these things with clients as well. Yeah. We've pre-selected option, submitted option two for you. We think it's the best one for your business. If you like, you can select number one, but we recommend number two. Mm. And it's usually how you get the proposal you want signed off by the client. This, I do this, and again, this is another yeah. thing you just unearthed in the sketch process. So when I when I see a, what I think is a really good solution to that proof, mm-hmm. exactly that, yeah, I will I will lead with that. Go, look, you know, I really think this is cool, but happy to look at this, and nine times out of ten, they do go with that. Yeah, mm. you know, it's just priming and framing. Yeah, um, and I guess then that 
I don't feel bad about that because then that uh, morally, I genuinely believe that's the best solution for them. Therefore, I'm I'm just fighting my corner for what I think is best for them. So then I guess that retains the integrity, you know. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there is a fine line between manipulation and between designing people's behaviour. Yeah. And actually, that fine line, ethically, there's a fine line. But also, for me, the fine line is that we say to clients... Um, you could try to manipulate people, but actually, psychologically, it doesn't really work long term because no. it backfires. So it either so we do like motivation directed behaviour design, which is a really convoluted way of saying we make sure people are always motivated to act before we design anything for them. Mm-hmm. And actually, to manipulate someone means that they're not motivated to act. So it might work for a bit, and it might work for a bit for a number of reasons. One is like attentional sink sinking. So oh, it's a new button, I'll click on it. And that doesn't really convert to long-term change. So it might be really good for the initial engagements and initial purchasing, etc., etc. But long-term, actually, you're not increasing your brand equity or your brand value because you're not mm. really embarking on any form of community-building-based like building based things. Um, <laughs> we were talking about the manipulation and, um, yeah. and why that doesn't uphold in the long term. And also... Yeah, the big one, and you see at the moment all these backlashes against manipulation. Like, people thought they were getting away with it with persuasive design, and actually, if you push it too far, people are wising up to technology, and people are wising up to their data use, and people are wising up to like how like Instagram uses engagements to keep you on the platform, and all these mm-hmm. things. And it can really back backfire, and the, and the PR fallout of that is not worth. The initial engagement return. It's very true. It's very true. People yeah. aren't stupid and eventually they're going to wise up. Yeah. Whether it's because they've seen something that's got more integrity and, and go, hang on a minute, or just kind of get and don't see yeah. past the bluff. And actually, I, I have, I say I've seen a shift. I hope that there's a shift towards um, consumer directed demand on the design industry. So actually, consumers are choosing more ethical brands. Mm hmm. And they're almost starting to take their money and putting it somewhere else because they know that it's better for them. Yeah. And I hope that that shift continues. Mm Because actually, as a designer, our responsibility kind of is to the business, but our main responsibility is to other human beings. Yeah. And I think once the market shifts and things become more ethical, then we won't have to make these compromising things anymore. Yeah. That's a common thread, it's a common conversation yeah. I've had a lot you know, about ethics within taking on certain yeah. projects and what you stand for and what you believe in and, and that, balance, that classic balance of paying the bills and yeah. upholding that. Paying the bills, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that classic trap for the, the system we live in, but there you go. But then I also think that there's an inverse of the ethical argument, which is we can't be naive. Mm-hmm. And I think at the mo- a lot of the stuff that's kind of gone out at the moment that people are going, oh, that went really bad, that went really wrong. Oh, well, we didn't know what we were doing. That argument can only really stand up for so long. And that argument will be answered with once designers know about psychology. Mm-hmm. They know about what they're doing to people. And, they- and we should know. We-, we have a right, we have like a- an industry right that we should know how mm-hmm. to design for people and are we making this thing intentionally addictive for out-and-out capitalist gain? Yeah. 
That's very true, actually. It's very yeah. so very so like sobering end, isn't it? <laughs> like a conversation. <laughs> could have gone anyway. We could have talked about the wonders of doing things, but no. Catalyst gain. So what have been some of, what have been some of your um, your sort of most satisfying projects that you've worked on personally? Satisfying. Oh yeah, mm. what what have you felt really good about? What you've been really quite enthused by? So you know, what change have you made that that's, that's felt good? Well, we did in the most odd, like bizarre kind of like project. We did one for um, they were creating a new IQ test. It was a project between um, MIT and Union College. And it was a Dr. Shabliss. I can't say his surname. Really bad. But he's written one of the big design psychology books called um, Hidden Gorilla or something. And I was working with him to basically do this IQ test. And I thought, this is really weird. Mm. Like, this is a really weird turn of, especially having studied it and having seen it in class, being like, you should read this book. And then just come full circle and be like, well, this is a weird turn Okay, of that's events. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't show anyone because if I show it, it invalidates any of the results that they've had. Oh, okay, right, fair enough. Which is, you'll see that a lot. Once you encroach towards more of science, you can't really show people what you're doing, which is really infuriating. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess a lot of it's all very experimental and in trials. And it's all very, like, um, like data hidden, mm. which is... I've been thinking about that recently, actually, trying to build out tangible case studies and just thinking I might offer clients discounts so that I can put everything out on the internet. Mm. So, so, you want 10% off? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> then I can just, you know, put actual like analytics on and yeah. the inside track. <laughs> but, yeah, I always get really jealous of people like yourself who work in visual mediums. What do you do? This? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit of that to it, yeah. I can just kind of like in front of someone, yeah. Your mum's like, so what do you do every day? And you're like, well, all of these amazing things. My mum's like, what do you do? And I'm like, well. <laughs> <laughs> kind of worms. <laughs> yeah, like deep, deep science. Brilliant. I do, I do remember that, yeah, like five, six years later of them kind of vaguely knowing I was studying something in design and art, yeah. putting a new paper down my artwork on and going, that's what I do when they go... Cool, I can show that to people at work. Put it in the frame, put it in the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I always miss that. Especially like illustrators. Mm. I love I love illustration. It's great. It is something that um it's one lovely upside to what I do. You do get a lot of love from yeah. all people basically. Because at least it's something again, it's very tangible, it's very immediate. So people go, that's awesome or that shit. It's kind of, you know, yeah. you, you know how someone feels about it, which is quite cool. <laughs> has, ever, has anyone ever got, like, any of your stuff tattooed on them? Yes. Have they? Yeah, I've designed it, well, both specific and I, I, some of it's come as a surprise. So I designed a, a zombie sleeve for a friend oh, uh, as a trade-off for some web design. <laughs> and and then a drummer in a band got the this kind of collage illustration I built from, you know, like the old, uh, how the body works, like anatomy sign of illustration, yeah. like the muscle people kind of illustrations. So I, com- I composed like a horrible Frankenstein-type creature like that for this rock band for the cover of their EP, and they got the tattoo full back. That's amazing. Which is the biggest compliment you can ever get. Because that literally there's, is. There's, there's zero doubt they genuinely liked that. <laughs> Shut the awards, I don't want any of them. I yeah. just want someone to give me their body part. They tagged me in it. I couldn't believe what I was saying. It took a few seconds for that to sink in, I thought. Oh wow, that's, that's commitment to that work. That is amazing. <laughs> I can imagine mine be like B equals M A T. Yeah. B mat. 
What's behaviour? That. It's an equation for behaviour. Do you think? Do you think behaviour speaking of designers are sort of independent? You know, low wolves, so to speak. Do you think it's something that will certainly benefit people to to look at baby design, or do you think that for some people, the kind of subconscious, instinctive ways is how they've got to do it? Oh, yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is intuition. Mm-hmm. So your intuition is basically psychology. It's honed over hit and miss and trial and error and what we've internalised. And actually, I think every single every single creator can benefit from knowing about behaviour design. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, behaviour design is, is battling the bigger problems. So it is doing big governmental level policy or it's working in the bigger companies because it's doing things like helping people save for retirement, um, increasing vaccination, mm. um, creating more like um, interfaces that benefit people with mental disorders and all this kind of stuff. So that's the big mm. scheme of behaviour design. But actually on the little side as well, if you just take little bits of behavioural insights, that is behaviour design. And every, every single designer and creative is affecting someone else's behaviour. Mm-hmm. They're either reading an article because your illustration sits next to it, or they're buying a product because you've, you've put it on a can, or they're responding to an ad campaign. Mm. And actually, what, if you can understand why and how, it'll make you a better designer. Yeah. It's really, really, I find it so fascinating. It's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's so true. I, I love to, you know, that's what I always loved about editorial artwork, right? Because yeah. that was my entry point into the industry because it's more disposable and you know yeah. a newspaper that's to, you know tomorrow's chip paper is is got far less writing than an ad campaign for a car let's say. yeah so I, but I just loved the fact that someone was bringing me in because of the mood that my work conveyed and the people that it spoke to the most I found that infinitely fascinating yeah you know and um so yeah and then like so when you place that in other fields I've done a lot of work with Calm the charity that work yeah, that, so. to sort of deal with the, the drastic kind of mental, sorry, uh, male suicide rate in this country yeah. in particular. And it's really saddening. But but that's interesting too, because, uh, you know, what you spoke about there at the governmental level, yeah, that's a big problem right now. And, and I think we mentioned, you know, we talked about social media and the negative impact of that, and that's got a lot to answer for. Yeah. People seeing all these supposedly wonderful wives' lives. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that works as well. And... Um, and feeling inferior, which is horrible, yeah. and, and and it's something I've had to train myself out of, not to get intimidated by the work of others, only only kind of admire and get inspired by it. Yeah, but you know, actually, I, when I said earlier that I don't apply behaviour design to myself, I do. I do all the time, and actually, one of the things we do is like preventative design, and it's trigger it's designing trigger barriers. Mm. So when you basically motivation is mat, um, behaviour is mat. So behaviour is motivation, ability, and trigger. And those three elements have to be present for behaviour to happen. Okay. So you can prevent someone's behaviour by redesigning the triggers to the behaviour. So, for example, Twitter, I don't have the app on my phone. So it makes it more inaccessible to go on Twitter. Because mm. if you have the app, you're going to click on it. Because it's a behaviour, it's a learned behaviour, it's immediate reward response. I'm primed to do it. My, dop- my dopamine in my head is seeking that little hit if I see that little... T- so I don't have it on my phone. Also, sometimes when I'm on a project, I change my Twitter password, so I can't actually get on it, and then I hide the password somewhere in the studio. (laughs) 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 So then, actually, oh, I want to go on Twitter, 
oh, I can't because I don't know what the password is. Right, I have to get out of my chair. I have to go across the studio. I have to find it in whichever book I put it in. Yeah. I have to get the password and I have to go onto it. I'm not going to bother. So it's a trigger. If you're designing, like you're preventing triggers from being mm. triggered. So actually, by the time I got off my chair, I might have got distracted and made a cup of tea instead. Sat back down. That's and I'm not very on true. And yeah, once it's just that one step removed, yeah. it's far beyond. You say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like getting rid of it. It's like not bringing biscuits into my house. Not bringing biscuits into the house is another massive yeah, one. Because I can't be asked walking down that, sh- you know, on a rainy night down to that, yeah. off, down to best one. I don't, I'm, you know, You're I don't, just not going to bother. No, you know, and then maybe I don't have cash and maybe that off license only takes cash. It's, like, it's very true. Yeah. I know it's a really silly way of looking at it, but it's, I guess it's, it's yeah, it's true. It adds up. And you can do loads of things. Like if you want to start doing something, say, um, you want to start doing something in the studio. Um, give me an example. I'm looking around all the paintbrushes, it's not going to help. What, a negative thing? Or a... No, say like you want to ha- make a new habit, so you want to make yourself do something. And actually, what you can do is this thing called um, habit bridging. So if you have a habit you already do, you can introduce a new behaviour into that habit, so then it also becomes a habit. So, mm. for example... Um, I brush my teeth in the shower in the morning. So actually the two habits I have in the morning are in the same place. Mm. And that was I included my toothbrush in the shower to brush. I don't know if anyone else does it or whether it's disgusting. But no, I've done that, yeah. I, I don't do it all the time, but I, I do it occasionally, especially yeah. if I'm rushing. You yeah, know? cuts yeah. your morning down. Yeah. Um, and you can just do stuff like that. Like if you want to get active a bit more when you are brushing your teeth, just do some little leg curls. This is really, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just habit bridging. It's one of the other things we yeah. work on is you know, looking where people already already have habitual behaviour yeah. and sticking another another form of behaviour into it. Mm. And it very, very quickly, because you're already primed as an automated unconscious behaviour, you very quickly then internalise it as a new unconscious behaviour. Yeah. Um, and you can see it all the time. It's why January resolutions usually fail, because they're completely new behaviours that not, you're not already doing. And actually, if you just stuck it onto one of the other habits you already see... Mm. Yeah, it's just effective management, isn't it, of, your, yeah. of, of what you what you already do or, or something you'd like to do in with that. Yeah. See, these things are always so simple when they're laid out for you, but, yeah. but, but it, you don't ever stop to think, which is, I guess is a great um, it's a great underlining of what you do and, and yeah. the, the power of it and the importance like, of it. Here's a good one, I just thought of one. Like, when you send your final invoice to a client, also send them out a written thank you card. Yeah. You know... You send, the, you send your invoice anyway, and usually that's where the interaction ends. And you, you forget, actually, there's a human being on the end of this that's paying this. So yeah. at the same time I click send, I'll write the nice thank you card, and it was great, and put, put it in the post and send it mm-hmm. off. And actually, you're reinforcing your, your relationship with other people. Yeah. And they'll remember that. They'll come back because yeah. people work with people. So true, and I stopped... Mid, maybe mid, midway through last year, anyway, last year sometime I made the conscious decision to just completely stop with the blanket emails campaign monitor I used to use and send, yeah. sometimes send about 900 and I got very little comeback. I know some people who had decent results. But instead, I, I, I just realised that my love of going to social events and talking yeah. to people um, is a big a big part of what I do and why I do it and I love, that's why I love doing this podcast because it's a great chance yeah. to spend an hour talking to someone. So instead I said, okay, let's cut the bullshit, get the numbers down to a really hand-picked bunch of people and maybe take the time to, to send out a handwritten letter. So I took yeah. I wrote these letters with ink, I painted the person's first name on a shelf sheet of nice paper and inclo- included that with this letter. Yeah. 
sent out the promo book and people would then, you know, would pop up on Instagram and they'd loved it and they'd yeah. put it on their desk and they've sent me a photo of that. And that's not me going, right, this is going to hide my chances of getting work. That's a lovely byproduct of it, don't yeah. get me wrong. But more importantly, it's just establishing relationships with them people who you help them and, you know, it's a mutual yeah. thing. It's, really helps you both so but what you're doing there is like personalization so you're personalizing yeah. that communication with that person and in this modern age where we're a click away from any single person on the internet mm. to have something that's tangible like we when we wrap, like wrap up projects i print out we do reports we do like behavioral reports and stuff like this but, you know i print it out on nice paper mm. get it nicely bound and i send it to them as a this is what you've bought like and actually you can get PDFs. PDFs are great, but to give someone something that's beautiful and a nice oh, cover course. and oh, it's weight to it and look yeah. at all this in, and we'll get the we'll get the highlighter and we'll put the notes on it and it's just much more integral kind of interactive thing. Yeah, and I think we forget that actually that the internet is amazing and computers are amazing, but so too is human interaction. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I, I t- students sometimes ask. To either for advice or if they can come by and ask a few questions, and I always say yeah, and um, I just I, I just like it. I like the people side. Of it. I'm interested to yeah. see what they're up to, and I, and I like the idea that I can help them like people have helped me, and um, and sometimes I get like, the loveliest things in the mail, like a little thank you letter, and I think oh god, like I didn't really think much of that encounter, yeah. right? it, it, not in a bad way, but I just think I, I will I will I will try and help people, and then I get on with the rest of my day and kind of forget about it a little bit. And then you get this lovely, like, sentimental letter going, like, you know, this has helped me yeah. so much. And it's like, wow, that, that really did drive that home by sending me something in the mail. But, with. You know, it makes a huge difference because then if you have, like, a project where you need to bring in someone else for a bit, you mm. know, you'll remember them. Yeah. Is this something you, you is this something you kind of advised? Is it something that comes up in, in your client work? Do you find that people are overlooking that kind of... Yeah, I mean, one of my other tips I always say is social. Mm. Um, human beings by our very nature are social beings and actually there's a lot I mean there's a whole there's a whole sector of psychology dedicated to it called social psychology and actually the power of our relationships and the power of like um, it, it's just incredible um, social reinforcement and all these other crazy, crazy little words but it's why like you see it on websites all the time where they say two people booked in the last hour and you're like alright but they're doing it because actually we're more primed to book because we think, oh, well, they've already purchased a service, so we should probably purchase it as well. Mm. It's okay. It's a good testimonial. Yeah. And actually for designers, like, always put your clients on everything. Always put your testimonials on there. Always just put everything out there. And it, you know, it may seem boastful when you're constantly talking about who you've worked with and name-dropping and stuff, but actually that's your social power. Mm-hmm. That's your validation and your authority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, yeah. you, if you get a good big client, talk about it because you borrow some of their equity, their brand yeah. equity. Yeah, and if that's done in a warm and heartfelt yeah. way as well, that engages with people. I mean, there's a guy I had on the show called Craig Black, a uh, Glaswegian designer, lovely little guy, got in touch, asked if he could come and chat, and said, well, let's do the podcast while you're here, and he came down to London, and he just, we just he shared my story. He was very open and honest. He said, I read your book. I found it very inspiring. And I, that, you know, I, that was lovely, lovely to, to hear, yeah. but you always have that modesty where it's like, kind of like <laughs> I kind of curl up a little bit when that comes out. And he's like, okay, that's... that's Wonderful, but he's just very, very genuine guy, very, very complimentary and very, very honest. And we've stayed in touch ever since. And he's talking at Glug in Manchester, and um, I was really excited. I was like, okay, fantastic! Now I'm like, see, 
correct talking. And uh, so I've shared it out there everywhere. And, you know, I just, like you said, it's a social thing. I, I do that because hopefully a few other people see it and go, oh, cool, there's another few yeah. designers in town going down there. Maybe I'll join in. And it gets a few numbers through the door for Craig. Not that it needs my help, but it's <laughs> like, you know, hopefully it will just make sure that yeah. maybe someone who hasn't heard about it that knows about his work will, will, will go there. So mm, it is a key thing in this industry, definitely. Yeah, and also like the social of offline. Ask your friends if you need if you need a project. Ask your friends. Mm. They probably will have someone that's like trying to hire an illustrator or a photographer that they know, and that friend referral will get you the job oh God, over yeah. open submission. Because my mate is my mate, so his mate's probably my mate too. Yeah, you know, and that's usually. I mean, it's usually how the network kind of happens, mm -hmm. and never feel intimidated to do that. Yeah. It is hard at safety mate, by the way, if you've got Oh god, of course it is, and it's not within most people's nature, like we said yeah. before, about those kind of creative minds that introspect and, and procrastinate, it's um that's a big issue and something they could dwell on for hours, but yeah. actually it's it's it is an intrinsically human thing. But you know, like I had a mind mind kind of shift a while ago and I think it was quite a significant mind shift and it's not who can I get to hire me, it's who can I help. Yeah. And actually it completely changes how you approach work because you're not basically trying to get work to just so you have work. You're actively pursuing who you can help most with your skill set. Mm -hmm. So you're doing them a favour really by contacting them. Yeah. And it, it does change how you approach work because it makes you so much more motivated to like email Microsoft. Like you'd never do that. You'd never just off your back just be like, oh, by the way, yeah. Yeah. But you know, it works. Mm. Well, it does, and, and I think people forget with the, the higher end of clients like that, we put them on the pedestal for a good yeah. reason because they've done great work. But like any other business on the planet, they need good yeah. people to do a job for them to make their life easier. And if you're that person, yeah, go for it. You know, you like, know, and that email might come in just as they started thinking about that as a problem. They're like, well, mm. this is the most serendipitous moment. So God, yes, yeah. hire you. And you're like, okay. Yeah, timing, luck, chance, whatever you want to call yeah. it. It's still it's a collision of moments and then and you and not that's not gonna happen if you don't put it out there, you know. Yeah. Really uh, it's a really strong thing. So I've got three books I wanna recommend, psychology design books that people Please do. I'm keen reader, so I'll go grab them. Bear in mind I can't really say their surnames. It's <laughs> alright, we can spell them out, I'll put them in the notes, the show notes. <laughs> okay, so I believe every designer should read at least one psychology book in their life. Mm -hmm. and these are the three that I'd probably recommend if you have some form of budget for books add one of these so mm -hmm. first one Think Fast and Slow by Carmen K-A-H-N-M-A-N how would you say that? Carmen, yeah, I don't know yeah, this is the thing this is my industry I've named up these people all the time and like half the time I have no idea <laughs> I'm shocking for the amount of times I have to email a guest and go am I saying you know? <laughs> it's just um, predictably irrational Mm -hmm. by Dan O'Reilly he is fascinating actually he has a podcast something to do with horses but it's like a behavioural psychology insights one they're only like five minutes each little okay. things that he tips on so literally if you're going for a jog or something get that fantastic and The Power of Habit by Doug D-U-H-I-G-G -G. yeah Doug I don't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I anglicise words and it's really bad. I was to go to Yorkshire. Doig. So yeah, they're the three books I'd recommend. Brilliant. Okay, yeah. that's cool. I'm definitely going to look into that. I'm very... Uh, 
I love a chance read and stuff like that. Like I said, have you read have you read um, Blink? Malcolm Gladwell. I have a very long time ago though. That's very interesting. Do you know it's really sad? I read more journals than I do like books these days. Do you? Yeah, it catches me out actually because it's pushed my vocab more to science than it has design. Mm. Just accidentally, I mean, if you're reading it all the time. And I remember going to a meetup and I just just finished doing a load of reading for the day went out in Manchester and just this designer was like, oh, so what, you know, what are you doing at the moment? What are you working on? I was like, well, and I just like hit them. <laughs> Basically like, here is psychology, what I want in the most complex language. And like, you could just see it like a couple of minutes in, he was just like white and had the fear. Really? Was he looking at his beard? Well, when we met at the, so at the, um, the Christmas day, we were the Christmas, we had a, a massive conversation then, a, a deep, like end of the world conversation. Yeah. But I love that, I always do anyway. So that was, that was right off my street. I think you drove that conversation. But yeah, and I thought, oh, must must just take a step back from this one. And I was like, I'm really sorry. And I was like, what? And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just I'm studying graphic design. And I thought, no wonder why you just had this complete fear. Yeah. I've just been hit with like key point after key point and signs for this. He was just like, oh my god. <laughs> Ah, uh, brilliant. And I felt really bad because, like, the whole point of what I try and do is make that accessible. But mm. because I've come straight from work, like, I haven't switched my bread, my, my head off <laughs> yeah. and just, like, hit him with everything. I thought, jeez. I think it is very accessible. I mean, I, I, you conveyed it very well there just by flagging things up around my studio and asking me questions. And straight away, it's like, suddenly realise, actually, I've thought about this stuff. I just haven't there. articulated it in any yeah. way. Mm. So that's interesting. Do you, do you, do you still, do you remain mindful of... of taking that step back now when you uh, do you get to not see the wood for the trees yeah I mean I I try I mean I've started doing my journal which is really helpful also I have chronic anxiety and I think if you don't take a step back when you have anxiety mm. it's almost a gift to be honest this is how I view my anxiety because if I get too anxious I have to take a step back and just have a mm. little bit of a couple of hours where I go for a walk yeah. and just think yeah. about things and process things yeah um but yeah Self-reflection, mindfulness, mm. it's all yeah. a range. Yeah. I did get that Headspace app though. Yeah. Amazing in terms of what I do and how they've designed it and how they've framed everything. Really good, although I stopped using it. What is it? Headspace, it's like a meditation app. Ah, uh, okay. But really good in terms of how it communicates to people and how it breaks down, which is traditionally used to be quite um, a distant thing. Like People didn't used to meditate. It was in the, the land of like Buddhists mm. and... And now it's back in the mainstream. It's interesting. Yeah, my mum used to go and meditate when I was, yeah. when I was a kid, and I was just I always felt, felt quite mystical to me. Like she'd have yeah. like postcards of Buddhist artwork and things on the wall, which is quite weird. And you know, small Yorkshire town when I went to school, it wasn't. I was like, oh, I don't want anyone to see that. But now it's now it's well out there. It's everywhere. Yeah. Good mindfulness. Mm, it's really important. So what's going? What's coming up? Anything exciting in the pipeline that you can talk about? Um. One thing I can talk about is uh, is the behaviour kit. Mm. I had a look at that when you sent it over. It looks, looks really good. The 10 step. Yeah, 10 steps really of behaviour design. Basically demystifying the process. Because mm. <laughs> I think you know it's still really new and people don't really know what it is yet. And actually, I'm all for just sharing everything. So we put our entire process on there. We've published our tools as well, but we're keeping them for workshops. Mm-hmm. And just teaching. Teaching, getting it out, and working on a few things. But I can't really... Brilliant. Yeah, prefer them, <laughs> them currently. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot with a question that I ask everyone at the end called Shark in the Tank. And it's I ask for a love and a hate. 
um, within what I guess within what you do. It, it doesn't have to be love and hate. It can be positive and a negative. It's just a kind of up and a down really. Within it's very lateral. It can be as playful, as serious as you want. Positive. Um, access to information. Like if you just think how much information is on the internet, you know you don't need to go to university anymore. You can just access all of this. Mm. Like every single piece of insight that I use in my studio, you can access on the internet. Sometimes it's behind a paywall, sometimes it's not. That's incredible. If you think, I would never have been able to do my job mm. 10 years ago. There's no way I could afford to sit with all the journals and kind of go through with a magnifying glass and highlighting and being, that's an interesting insight. Mm-hmm. Write that in my other book. Um, I think that's incredible. Um, negative. The complicated vocab. <laughs> That's a great answer. Do you know, like, I've been doing this, what, nine years? I'm degree educated, and I've, I've been immersed in it, and I still struggle sometimes to understand the, the language that's used in the things I read. To the point, actually, I have a file on my computer called Shit Scientists Say. <laughs> <laughs> And I just screenshot it, and I just put it in there. Sometimes I might share it with, with Charlie, my husband, just being like, they're literally just saying that this is invalid. And it's like a whole paragraph where it's just the most convoluted back and forth, back and forth. I read a whole entire journal. It's ten pages of pure, hardcore neuroscience. It's like really complicated stuff. If you haven't got a degree parts of neuroanatomy, you're probably not going to understand it. And I slogged through it, and I had my highlighter, and I had my pen, and ran the notes down. And I got to the end, and then conclusions, and right at the end it says, this study is inconclusive. <laughs> God. <laughs> and you just think. <laughs> so I learned then, always read the last paragraph before you even attempt to yeah. read the rest of the article. Because it's already been thrown out then, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, are you kidding? <laughs> it took me like hours to read this Oh thing. no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Great cup of tea. <laughs> thank you so much to Lauren for taking the time to chat. Um, what a fascinating topic. I hope you guys agree and, and found it so... Um, does it make you think about your patterns, your habits, uh, the little things you might do automatically but are actually undermining productivity in the way that you get the most out of your day, out of your week, uh, out of the way you think even? I think it's quite a, quite the rabbit hole, isn't it, to, to introspect and to self-analyse, but it's really quite useful. And I know for a fact, since that conversation, I've implemented a number of little, just little counters to things that I do. So... For example, as mentioned, the you know I, I work on two separate desks, so I have an office area with my editing suite, and you know it's set up quite nice and warm. I have images on the wall to inspire me. I, I try to create an environment that inspires me and, and, and keeps me energized and makes me feel. I don't know. It, maybe it's playing to the nesting nesting instinct a little bit, but it's. I feel it works for me. I feel good. I feel you know I feel dynamic when I work in this area. And then behind me, as I speak, as I record this, I've got a big ink smattered desk, uh, you know, dried out brushes everywhere, paints, it's, I feel good, I feel, I feel uh, vibrant when I get in that space, and I want to draw, and I, you know, I feel I can make a mess, and, and I allow myself to do that psychologically by building this messy area, which is kind of sectioned off from the rest of my studio, but it works, because that's where I go to play and throw the ink and the paint around, 
but it's that in-between bit that I get distracted with. So when I jump from one to the other, I find I can easily kill 20 minutes, half an hour by fighting around on Twitter, uh, putting the kettle on, making an unnecessary bruise. All those little things, I think we all have those little traps. So, you know, I little things in place like having that wheelchair so I can you know, I can move around quite smoothly and get across to the next desk. Um, or maybe I embrace that pattern of making a brew in between and I use the little break in between just to, just to change headspaces. It really made me think anyway, as a long story short. Uh, so thank you to Lauren for doing that and I hope you guys took something from that episode too. Please get your feedback over at Arrest All Mimics on social channels. Anything's good, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever your preference is, please do get involved. Drop us a comment, a link, whatever. Put yourself forward for a show, that's all good. Uh, exciting stuff coming up on the show. Not going to list everyone at the minute because I've got this backlog of people. Uh, some really, really interesting, dynamic and diverse episodes coming up. So let me know who you want to hear from also. Thank you to the sponsors, illustrationweb.com, the Association of Illustrators and the fantastic Hat Internet uk very loyal support making sure i can do this show with regularity for you guys if you like it please do go and let me know on the reviews on itunes in fact if you don't like it go and slam me that's all good too i want honest reviews but please do go and drop, drop us one up there it really helps to endorse the show and to get behind what i'm doing which is ultimately trying to strengthen the creative industry by posting this ongoing huge archive of very interesting people telling their stories sharing their advice and making us laugh from time to time so thank you as ever for listening uh, cheers to the loyal listeners hello to anybody new please do spread the word uh, all really appreciated so have a wonderful week i hope you enjoyed it check back in soon please do go and subscribe on the itunes listen on stitcher listen on soundcloud whatever you prefer but please spread the word enjoy Nice one, guys. See you all soon. Cheers.